Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and angels with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. Children's Church, you are also dismissed. This morning, we're going to be continuing our series in Advent. As I was saying just a little bit ago, the necessity of taking this moment each year in recognition of the good news of the gospel, Advent had become a part of something that I now look forward to every single year. Having not grown up celebrating Advent, I didn't really know too much about it. was introduced to it a few years ago at our sending church, and I was wondering what it was. But after experiencing the stories told, taking the entirety of the month of recognition, building up into this anticipation of the arrival of Christ, I was like, yes, this is a must every year. That instead of there just being one time, one Sunday, we're like, hey, awesome, Jesus came. And they were like, all right, New Year's resolution, new vision casting, church stuff, blah, blah, getting busy. We took the whole month to say, no, this needs building of anticipation. This needs recognition. Because I don't understand, uh, I don't believe that people take the time to understand the gravitas of what Advent actually is. It's arrival. Christ's arrival. All the faithfulness of all the Old Testament books promising that He would come and His arrival is made clear. It is a sign, as the angels say, a sign that they can see, a sign that they can hear, a sign that they can touch of God's faithfulness. A sign that proved that everything that God had said regarding His salvation, regarding His coming to tabernacle with His people, the, to deliver them from their sin and their uh, death, to give them a new covenant that's not like the one that was made with their fathers, here He is. So Advent is absolutely important. Not only for the recognition of Christ's arrival, but for our time to reflect our time to take a moment to say, oh, how great this arrival has been. That this message of joy came to me. And I got to receive it. I got to receive this mercy and this grace that this child who grew up and lived the life that I was supposed to, died the death that I deserve, to offer me now life that I don't deserve. And I get to receive this message of joy. How great that arrival is. Not only that Christ arrived, but the gospel arrived to you. That out of everybody, it came to you. When it did. At a time when you needed it. And you were saved by it. So with that being said, this morning, I want to talk about a little bit about anticipation. 
Because anticipation is extremely high during this season. Like, I anticipated that worship would go well, because these are very common songs that we sing, and we practice so many times, and it was on point right before. I'm like, oh, this is cake, we're going to go through this. So my anticipation was that things were going to go well. Well, things happen. <laughs> but anticipation is very high during this time of season. My daughter, now eldest daughter, has high anticipation for Christmas. And like any child would have high anticipation for Christmas, the very first response was like, oh man, the gifts are awesome. But then she continues on out of nowhere. She says to her, Christmas brings about a time when all things seem right in the world. Now that's my interpretation of it. Because if she spoke like that, it'd be like, hey, come on up. Say a few words. <laughs> to her, Christmas brings about a time when all things seem right in the world. We, as a family, are all together. We are sharing love with one another and showering, showering each other in gifts. There's no stress, no time management, no anxieties that interrupt this time. It seems as the world stops just for a moment and we get to just be with one another. Nothing else causing distraction that you used to, to be there and pour out love on your kids, grandkids, parents, siblings, friends. So for to, to her, the anticipation of Christmas is a time whenever mom and dad aren't so stressed out. To her, Christmas is a time whenever things aren't just so high pressure, that we got to be here and do this thing, and go to this place and do this thing. To her, it's a time whenever we all get to stop and just be with one another. Comfy clothes, no one's worried about their hair. It's just a good time. She turns to me and says, Dad, I love Christmas because we're all together sharing in love and gifts like Jesus did. Ooh, it's right in the fields. Now, nostalgia hits most adults pretty hard during this time. Most of us, our anticipation is a reflection of what our childhood was like. That we look back and go, oh man, do you remember that time when we go to grandma's? And remember that time we played football after we'd open gifts? And... You know, Uncle So-and-so would throw up because he ate too much cake before or pie beforehand. Remember that time? So nostalgia just hits different. It hits adults a little bit more during this time of year. Most of it surrounds a similar sentiment that Emma shared. It's a time when we as kids would see our family gathered together, sharing in love with each other, fellowshipping with each other, and joy. Cousins and grandparents, laughter and hugs and gifts and meals. This time brings about a lot of warmth to those who are blessed to enjoy those moments each year. But not all nostalgia is warm and worthy of anticipation. Some find themselves alone. And if you've seen the newer Grinch and seen him like looking out, like looking into people's houses and all the families gathering together, it just hits you too. Some people just find themselves alone. They're separated from the rest of their family. Whether it is through pain, or choice, or geographical location, feeling outside is what is brought to mind during this time. Like a lonely stranger peering into the window, beaming with the warm light of a family gathered around the table, smiles, gratitude, and joy. Standing outside is the lonely, the cast out, wondering why. Why he or she is not allowed to have such joy. While others are inside, gathered in love and joy, they are outside. Bound by their mind and heart to the reality of the loss of joy in their lives. And like the Grinch, this time can, can become a time of rejection. Where they've been outside for far too long. And they just absolutely reject everything that this is. The outsider who despises the message of joy because they miss the meaning of the reason for the season to begin with. In this wonderful Advent passage that we read this morning, we will see to whom the announcement of the wonderful arrival comes and the message of joy that is given to them. Those who are outside, those who are in the night, those who are out in the cold working while everybody else 
is inside the community, at home, sleeping, resting. Advent, which has come to mean arrival, is a message of hope, a message of peace. And today we're going to see that it is also a message of joy. May this message of joy echo to the lonely, the outcast, the forgotten, and the downtrodden. So this is the main point of today's message. This is the main point of this, te this, this text this morning. Jesus is the good news of great joy, which is for all people. Which is for all people. So what does this mean? What's the question then, Freddie? How does the good shepherd choose to announce his arrival? We're going to see a lot in this announcement that displays why this message of joy is for the downtrodden, is for the outcast, is for the ones who are outside and those who are in the night. We find this in number one, that this is a message for the outsiders in the night. We get this from verses 8 through 12 of our passage this morning. Verses 8 through 12 of our passage. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field. Do you guys know what shepherds do? I'm sure by now you know what they do. They're out in the field. At what time were they out in the field? They were keeping watch over their flock by night. Everybody else is inside, comfortable, probably have eaten dinner, around with their family. They're in the middle of a census right now. So everybody's big families are all together. And these shepherds are outside. These shepherds are in the night. Separated, cut off. Because they have work to do. Continuing on, verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled, filled with great fear. I'd imagine so. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news, you Galion, gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Unto whom? You. You. You who are outside. You who are outcast. You who are out here. Unto you. The city of David, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. They're given an immediate, tangible evidence that what the angel is saying is true. So that way they can't say, oh, we're just tripping out here. We've gone without sleep. We're seeing things. Something tangible. And this will be a sign for you. Continuing on. Well, that's the end of the text. Right there, 12. So notice the ones who received the message. This announcement in Luke, all of the ones we've seen up beforehand, the beginning portions of Luke have always been like Mary and Elizabeth and like Anna. So all these pivotal people to help set the stage that the Messiah has arrived. But his arrival is announced to whom? Shepherds. Not the high priests. Not the fancy, most religious or political people. Shepherds. They were considered of low value. There's not much to a shepherd, so you can't really contribute that much, so go outside and tend to the animals, please. They were a poor occupation. Not much money in it. A lot of these guys were, and ladies, were despised in their cities. Whenever they would walk through with their staff, People knew that they were shepherds and they could smell them because they were outside. They were in the mud. They had to move the sheep. They had to birth the sheep. They had to work with the sheep. So people kind of despised them a little bit. You smell bad. They were cast off by society. So these shepherds didn't really do all their shepherding stuff inside the community. They didn't have like little pens in, next to their house where they can go outside and be like, oh, this is a hobby farm. This is fun, huh? No. They were like, those stink. Get them away from here. Go find pasture land that they can go feed from. They were looked down upon based upon their value in society. So in society, they're like, whatever, you're a shepherd. Which is fine, absolutely fascinating that the one characteristic 
that Jesus says he is to the people is the good shepherd. He's with you no matter how it may look. The stink, whatever we carry, he's going to take care of you. His rod and his staff will comfort you. I don't care what they think of me. I'm here for you. To be with you. To guide you. And where were these shepherds at? They were out in the field. They were outside the camp. They were outside the city. They were disconnected from the fellowship of others. As you can imagine, since the census was going on, if you were looking forward to a big family dinner, uh, like the Balsmas are here pretty soon, uh, a lot of families gathered. Because the census calls that the families, you'd have to return to your family's origin to which your family came from. Which is why Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. Because they are from the seed of Jesse, David, yeah. So they were from Bethlehem, which is why they were there. So you can imagine all these families gathering together. Hey, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. They were probably feasting together. I'd imagine because they were all there, and these were disconnected from the fellowship with others because they had to be outside. They were watching the flocks by night. So while others were resting, they were working. Others were secure in their homes. They were outside where the wolves and thieves are. They were disconnected from the standard lifestyle. But what they received was good news of great joy for all people. Not just for the best of the best. Not just for the ones who have it all together. Not just for the ones of high societal value. The message came personally, gloriously to the outsiders. All people equals even those outside in the dark. So the message begins with good news of great joy for all people. Unto you a child is born. It wasn't just a standard blanket statement where the angel just gets to be like, Hey, you get to participate in this announcement. That is for everybody. Yes, that's true. But then it goes personal. Unto you. O oh, shepherds, O oh, to you, you outsiders, O oh, to you, lowly of value, cast off, cut off, disfellowship, you, the Savior, is born today. And there's proof unto you, especially for them. You will find a baby. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, this is something very interesting about a manger. Could somebody tell me what a manger is used for? Feeding the livestock. What did we just do? We partook in the Lord's Supper, did we not? His arrival came in a manger. Shepherds know all about mangers. That his arrival did not come into some massive palace, not some big temple, where they don't even get to participate. It came in a manger, something familiar, something they're used to, a part of what they go through in life. Christ's arrival in your life arrives the same way. He meets you where you're at, what you're going through. I can identify with you. I've been there. I've suffered these things. I can be sympathetic to you. I will meet you in the manger if that's what it takes. I will meet you there. And so he did. A manger is used as a feeding trough for livestock. The God of all creation arrives in a place where shepherds would be. The God of all creation arrives personally, vulnerably, and visibly in mankind. Not just an abstract message, but a tangible fulfillment in a baby. That these shepherds didn't have to be like, oh, cool experience. Now I'm just going to have to believe. The angel says, no, you're going to find it. You get to participate. You get to meet. You get to go and see. This is an invitation, shepherds. 
Christ is the image of the invisible God who came to the alienated and the hostile mind so we may be reconciled, which means reconnected, affirmed and valued in His body, in His coming. Why? So we will be presented holy, blameless, and above reproach in Christ. We find this in Colossians 1. This baby in this manger is not just some baby. It's not just another line in Jesse. The Hebrews were used to that. Oh, another a line of Jesse was born. Maybe this guy, this will be the guy, this will be the guy, this will be the guy. They never were. So what does Colossians 1 say about Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. His arrival is not just for us, but His participation with us. He came specifically because He wanted to. He came into creation so that way He could connect with you and you and you and me. And that was His intention. Everything. Your life. Your being here is His desire for you to be here. All things are created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That baby, the fullness of God, not a part, not a mode. The fullness. He gave all of himself, born in a manger, and invited shepherds to come and behold. And through him, what do we receive? What does a shepherd receive? And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace in the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated, Hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, complete, separated for good things. Not separated and alienated because of your lifestyle, because of your value, your perceived value. Holy, complete. Inability to be affected again and blameless. You were just a shepherd. Who needs to listen to you? Blameless. You're a child of God. You're not just a fill in the blank. You're not just a whatever people may say. And above reproach before Him. Above reproach means somebody can't look at you and say, Oh yeah, that person's definitely this way or that way. People will be like, no they're not. That's what living above reproach means. That when accusations come your way, when people seek to gossip and say some stuff about you, they're like, that doesn't stick. I know them very well. It doesn't work that way. I know them. That's above reproach. If indeed, what? If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If you continue, the message came to you, O outsider, who was once cast out, devalued, dismissed, overlooked, and forgotten. Christ came to you, the preeminence of all creation. The fullness of God in a manger came to you. Christ displayed himself as the visible image, the proof and the proving of the invisible God, so that you may be reconciled, reconnected, valued, given purpose, and presented holy and blameless. Christ came for you. Christ came as the good news for the outsiders in the night. For those who are cast out, that's good news of great joy. So what does they do? What is this message then that they receive? Number two, a message of joy. A message of joy. <clears throat> this comes from 13 through 15 of our text this morning. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace 
among those in whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. All right, let's go check this thing out. I mean, the heaven just opened up and heavenly hosts everywhere are praising God. This may be worth checking out. Sometimes it takes the whole of heaven opening up before to get you to listen sometimes. Me too. Sometimes God has to intervene in such a mighty way just to catch your attention. Sometimes shepherds come your way to tell you this great news, joy, only for them to be like, no, nah, you're a shepherd. This is a message worthy of joy. The heavenly host set the foundation of the worthiness of the message they brought to the shepherds. Rather than a singular angelic experience, the universality of the heavenly host and their joy at the event presents the worthiness of the message given to the shepherds. The message they now hold of the arrival of God in the flesh carries immense value. God placed the message that all of heaven rejoiced over the hands of those who, kept, who were cast aside by the community. They have been given the first backstage passes to see with their own eyes the God of all creation who saw fit to consider them with his arrival. The first message. The first ones who were being told of his arrival came in an angelic, glorious fashion to shepherds. This message was not given to the religious elite. The emperor did not receive such a glorious announcement. Shepherds, one of God's defining characteristics, were given the message of joy that Luke will make perfectly clear here. There's another message of joy that we're going to take a look at, too. Just somebody who is also cut off, outcast. A message of weightiness that caught the attention of somebody. Somebody who was looked down upon, devalued. And he's described as having small stature. We find this in Luke 19. It's a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, this term small stature can absolutely mean he was short. But I think there's a lot more weightiness to it than simply that he was short. Small stature means devalued, looked down upon. Small, just small. He entered Jericho, this is Zacchaeus, passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, I'm sorry, that was Jesus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Wait a second. But you would think somebody who is like top tier, he's not just a tax collector, he's the chief tax collector. So he's like the manager supervisor of the area. He's like the Michael Scott of the region. Zacchaeus, he was top tier tax collector. And yet he was very rich. But listen to what they say about him. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was anticipating this arrival too. He was looking forward to, he heard about this thing and he went to go see it. He wanted to see what the, the fuss was about. But on account of the crowd, he could not. Why? Because he was small in stature. So I'm sure he was shoved aside. Get out of here, Zacchaeus. This doesn't concern you. You're not. You're Roman. You've already given over yourself. This is a this is a Hebrew Messiah. This is a Jewish prophet, Zacchaeus. You can't participate anymore. This is not for you. So get back. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and wee little man was he. Let's oh, throw back. Sunday school. Climbed up in a sycamore tree. For the Lord he wished to see. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, This is Jesus, mind you. Again, God of all creation, the full image of the invisible God, the fullness in whom God dwelled, said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Wait, what? 
Could you imagine all the Hebrews around there? Like, oh yeah, we're so glad you're here, Jesus. Man, we've been looking forward to you coming. And Jesus walks into the crowd. Thank you, thank you. Good to see you, good to see you. Hey, bro. I want to go to your house today. Wait, Zacchaeus? Wait a second. But we were excited about your arrival. I mean, you're our Messiah, right? He gave up. He's already joined the Romans. He's not just a tax collector. Like, he's doubled down. He's the chief. He's the top dog in the area. Zacchaeus? So how does Zacchaeus respond? So he heard and came down and received him, what? Joyfully. He received Jesus joyfully. Why? Jesus saw him. Everybody. The one who was small in stature. The one who had to climb up in a tree just to get a peek at what's going on. Jesus noticed him. He said, yes. I'm going to dine with you. We're going to eat together. So, of course, you can imagine Zacchaeus receiving him joyfully. Why? Because out of all those years, all that time, he'd been pushed aside, <laughs> set aside, cast out, downtrodden because of his occupation, because of his stature, because of what he, whatever it was. Jesus noticed him. Continuing on. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. <laughs> He's got in to be a guest with who is a sinner. How dare he? We're not sinners. He is. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone in anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also, also, since he is also, is the son of Abraham. What was the defining moment of Zacchaeus' salvation as Jesus? What was the defining moment? Was it Zacchaeus making a plea in a case? Like, hey man, times are tough and you know I had to take this job because it, you know, bills were really high and I just had to do this thing, so did he plea a case of some kind? Absolutely not. Christ Jesus saw him, I'm going to dine with you. He saw him outside, in the dark, cut off, outcast, small in stature. And Jesus says, I see you. Jesus' meeting with Zacchaeus changed everything for him. He didn't see any miracles. Nothing. Jesus just met with him. Noticed him, dined with him, communed with him. That was it. Zacchaeus was like, oh, I'm repenting of my sin with action. <laughs> Today, salvation has come to this house twofold. Zacchaeus' response and Jesus' arrival. Today, salvation has come. A baby in a manger. Today, salvation has come. The message came to the one who was awaiting the one to come. Zacchaeus was cut off from the community. He was despised for his profession. Jesus came and chose to dine with him. Out of all the crowd, Jesus chose to meet with Zacchaeus. And it says that Zacchaeus received him joyfully. Why? Because Christ considered him. Christ chose to reveal himself to a man who was small in stature. Not just physically, but communally and socially also. Christ came with a message. And that message of joy that Christ came to seek and save the lost is now sitting in the house of a man who needed to be found. The message of joy merits a response. Like Zacchaeus, who responded through repentance and reconciliation, the shepherds chose to act on the message to which they had been entrusted. The invitation to come and behold. Come and behold. A baby is born for you in a manger. Come and behold. I am going to dine with you. I have come. 
behold. Come and behold. Come and behold him. Born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. The shepherds acted upon such an invitation to come. And what we see next is the shepherds display a message worth sharing. Number three, a message of joy worth sharing. A message of joy worth sharing. And this is verses 16 through 20. Verses 16 through 20. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph with haste. They heard the message, saw the thing, and said, let's go see. They went with haste. We need to see this thing. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger, just like the angels had said. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So these shepherds ran up to Mary and Joseph. It was like, awesome, baby in a manger. Now I'm sure Mary and Joseph's like, uh, cool. Why are you guys here? Just have a baby. We're shepherds. So they told them, like, hey, we were out in the field. We are just doing our thing. And then angels came. And the heavens opened up. And they said, that God is here in a manger. And we get to see it. So that's why we're here. To see it. To come and behold. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. Like, what? But Mary, <coughs> Mary treasured it up. In she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Up until this moment, Mary had just been told things about Jesus. About who he's going to be. That she was going to be more a child. That he would be wonderful counselor, mighty God. And she gave this wonderful magnificat of that God has blessed me and this is going to be magnificent. But now we're seeing the nature of the child born. Just born, and here comes the lowly, the outcast, the downtrodden, those who were overlooked to come and behold the child who was born. She treasured this up. Because the God of all creation did not reveal himself to an emperor, didn't come boring in some mighty temple. He was born exactly where people needed him to be. And they get to come and participate. They get to come and be a part. They get to come and behold him. So she treasured up these things. That God, like he said he would be, would be for the outcome. That he would rule with justice and righteousness. That he would be a healer. That he would save, cleanse, restore. The shepherds were met with confirmation of the message they had received. By faith, the shepherds chose to take action in what they had just heard. This is the whole meaning of the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, by the way. That they received a message and acted. That's why they're in there. Not just simply because they believed. They're like, oh man, yeah, this is really cool. They acted upon what they were told. It's the whole point of James, whenever he says, work without, or, yeah, work, faith without works is dead. A message was carried and delivered to people from God. And by faith, those who trusted God's message acted upon such a message. The message the shepherds had received was an invitation. Come and behold it. It would, be, it would have been far too easy for the shepherds to be like, Well, that was a cool experience. And continue on with their lives. They could have missed the meaning behind the message of joy altogether. I wonder how many miss the message of the holiday season, how many go to a Christmas play, engage in activities of the great, a good news of great joy, hear the wonderful message of God's arrival for the salvation of mankind, only to say, well, that was a great experience, and continue on with their lives. Now there's a funny, not so funny term that is used amongst ministry leaders called CEOs. I don't really find it that funny. I didn't even know it existed until about two years ago. CEOs are Christmas and Easter onlys. Those are people that they say anticipate will come to your church, and that's just when they come to church. It's Christmas and Easter only. So they make a massive deal about it. They make a cool experience about it. Big play, they may have donkeys and horses and whatever else in the sanctuary. And people are like, oh man, this is awesome. Look at the kids and the singing and the play was great. And there was animals and lights and stuff. And they leave from there completely missing the whole point. 
that doesn't resonate or connect with the reality that God came being born in a manger says, I came down here for you and for you and for you and for you. I will meet you where you're at. I don't care if you're a shepherd. I don't care if you're dirty. I'm born in a, in a manger. I'm 32. But I'm here. And that is a great news of great joy. They missed the invitation to come and behold. They missed the invitation to receive the one who came to seek and save the lost. What could contribute to the missing of the message of joy? Past hurts from the community. Depression from being on the outside or in the dark for so long. Thinking the king of glory and salvation of mankind was for those insiders only. I'm Zacchaeus. God, Jesus is not for me. I'm really this. God, Jesus is not for me. He's for those people who have everything put together. Their lives are put together. My life doesn't look like theirs, so God must not be for me. Thinking the king of glory and salvation is for those in the insiders only. Or the message becoming muddied by the hurtful actions of the messengers. Rather than angels, they receive anger. Rather than great news or good news of great joy, they receive condemnation and judgment. Oh, you're a shepherd. Sorry. You're a fill in blank. I'm going to go to the insiders to tell them. So what is the action by faith to hearing such a message of joy? Come and behold him. Come. Come and receive the one who came to you first. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Since Christ came to seek and save all those who are lost, come and receive the one who actually came. He has sought you. He has found you. Now let him save you. Listen to this prayer that he gives to his disciples right before he goes on to become crucified. John 17. Listen to the words of the good shepherd. Listen to the words of the one who came, who is now getting ready to pray over his ones, his people, those whom he saves. Starting in verse 6. I have manifested your name, and he's praying to the Father. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the word that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. Why? I'm not praying for the world, but for those to whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. Which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost. Except the son of destruction. That the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world. That they may have joy. Fulfilled in themselves. What he's getting ready to pray for. Is the joy fulfilled. In you. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world. Just as I am out of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Why? But that you keep them from the evil one. Why? They are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world. As you sent me in the manger. As you sent me to the, to the shepherds. Amongst the people. As you sent me into the world. So I have sent them into the world. Come and behold, go and tell. Come and behold, go and tell. And for their sake I consecrate myself. And they also may be sanctified in truth. But they may also be sanctified in truth. Verse 19. 19. 
This is a prayer of who you are in Christ. This is a prayer that Christ's joy may be fulfilled in you. That the God of all creation came, fulfilled every promise. Met you right where you're at. Saved you. That you may go and share with others. You are the messengers. You are the ones who rejoice over the good news of great joy. You are now the multitude of the heavenly host who declare to the world, God has come. Salvation has come to this house, to this place, to this person, to you and to me. We are now the multitude of witnesses. That is us now. This is a prayer that He came with the message of joy for all. This is a prayer for the realization that the message of joy He carried into the world will now be carried in His people. This is a prayer that all those who carry this message of joy will be sanctified by it. In the same way that Mary treasured up in her heart all that the shepherds had said, we too should treasure up in our hearts on the reality of the Advent season that Jesus came to seek and save the lost and that is good news of great joy. But it does not end here. It doesn't end at Advent. It doesn't end whenever we come together next Sunday. We're like, oh cool, that was awesome. Back to the business as usual. This section ends with the shepherds returning to their duties, glorifying and praising God. Did God pull them out and be like, you got a new job now. You're going to make lots of money and be super cool in society? No. He gave them something exactly what they need. But they went right back to the place where they came from. But now, rather than just being feeling outcast, cut off, no longer of value, they had a lot of reason to rejoice. In the same way that you do. <laughs> that we come here and we listen to the message of joy, we dive into His Word, we see how good Christ actually is. And then we go back to our place, back to our duties, with joy in our hearts. With a message of joy to give to others. Not only for the joy found within themselves as given them by Jesus, but for the joy of the message to be received by all who are outside and in the night and in their own lives. For those who are lost, this message of joy is good news of great joy, knowing that Jesus came to seek them out and to save them, and that they too may have found joy in Christ Jesus. So three takeaways, very quickly, with this particular Advent message of joy. Number one, the message of joy in the gospel is for all people. All people. Zacchaeus, shepherds, all people. Those who have been cast out, those who have been hurt, those who have been enslaved to their own sin, unable to find reprieve or forgiveness for their souls. Christ's coming to seek and save the lost is good news of great joy for all people. Number two, the realization of the message of the gospel coming to you is a message worthy of great joy. You were once the shepherd. You were once cut off. You were once had no earthly idea. But somebody came. The term angel in Greek is angelos, meaning messenger. Somebody, a messenger, came to you and said, Hey, I just want to tell you. Hey, Jesus can meet you right where you're at. Or maybe it was a multitude. Maybe you were in a church service. And some preacher guy came up here and declared the message. That Christ came to seek and save the lost. And the multitude rejoiced in that message. And that's where you were saved. Maybe it was there. But the realization of the message of the gospel coming to you is worthy of great joy. From the wonderful words, from a wonderful hymn, though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. There's a reason for rejoicing in that event. Number three. In the same way that the message of joy has come to you, you too are to carry the message of joy to the lost. Here's this wonderful quote by Charles Spurgeon in a book called Soul Winner. I highly recommend reading it. It's a tough one, but if you can get through it, it's a lot of great stuff. Listen. 
The object of Christianity is not to educate men for their secular callings, or even to train them in more refined arts and elegant professions, or to enable them to enjoy the beauties of nature or the charms of poetry. Jesus Christ did not come into the world for any of these things. He came to seek and save that which was lost, like Luke 19.10. Does that sound familiar? Luke 19? What happened in Luke 19? Zacchaeus. That Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That was Zacchaeus. That was you. That was me. He has sent his church on the same errand. She is a traitor to the master who sent her if she is so beguiled by the beauties of taste and art as to forget that to preach Christ and him crucified, 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 2, 2, is the only object for which she exists among the sons of men. The business of the church is the salvation of souls. We are the messengers. We are the sent ones. We are the disciples. We are the ones who go and declare in the same way the angels did. And we glorify in it. Because we have seen it. We've seen the glory of the Lord. We received Him well. Now we go and tell. The sole function of a church is the salvation of lost souls. We are a cloud of witnesses. We are the heavenly hosts that bear a message of joy. They go share it with those on the outside. In closing, Christ bridged the infinite gap for sake of seeking and saving the lost. The heavens have opened up to shepherds to come and behold the one who came. He carried, we carry a message of joy that has the whole hosts of heaven rejoicing to share. We have received such a message of joy. Let us also rejoice with heaven, with heaven in sharing the good news of great joy, which is for all people. We now carry the message of joy. Let's not see shepherds alone, outcast in the dark, without a messenger to tell them of the good news of great joy, which is for all people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you sent Christ. That he is the fullness of God who was born in a manger, born in a place to which you are relative, that you met us exactly where we're at. That you came to seek and save the lost. And if that means going to a manger so that we could come and behold you, you did that very thing. That you meet us right where we're at. That you came for salvation to the house. That you recognize us. That you saw us. You called us by name. In the time whenever we were outcasts, we were at enmity with you. We were following in the desires of our flesh and heading to destruction. You called our name. In the same way that Zacchaeus was received, you called our name. You came and met with us and salvation came to us because you came. Your arrival is the sign that salvation has come. And that is a message of good news, which is of great joy, which is for all people. Lord, may our hearts, may our hearts reflect yours. That in the crowd, in the multitude, that we can peer and see those who are outside. Those who are in the dark. Those who are forgotten. Those who are overlooked. And we can meet them there carrying the same message of joy to which we received, that they may rejoice with us. Salvation has come because you have sent them. And for that we rejoice. Because in Christ's name, the name that is above every other name, that we pray these things. Amen. Let us stand and sing joyful, joyful, we adore thee.